Welcome to the second half of my interview with Anita Fletcher from Standout Medical Careers. We discuss getting ready for your next career move. Anita talks about reviewing your CV, preparing for interviews, and some tips for managing your online profile. Be sure to listen to part A of this interview where we discuss career inertia and finding new opportunities in medicine. This podcast is not financial advice, and all opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. Please seek professional advice before making any financial or investment decision. So a doctor says to you, I'm ready to start a new career pathway in medicine. Where do you begin? Okay, so look, a good place always to start is having a look at someone's CV. And then, so... So doctors' CVs are very much, you know, directed and focused towards a career in medicine. So we look at working into that, what what is the future that you want and starting to bring into uh, the CV those themes and this is these are what my career objectives are and these are the steps that I'm taking now to make a move across. Then the next stage really is is looking at the roles that are out there and starting to um, develop a strategic approach to applying for those positions. So whether it is immediate or short-term or in a longer term, you know, if it is identified that someone needs to go and do that MBA first, well, then that's part of the plan. But more often than not, it can be a, a shorter-term project essentially, that involves working together for a couple of months, looking at the options that are out there and starting to apply and starting to go for interviews. So there's one client I'm actually working with today and she's uh, fairly recently made the decision to step away from clinical practice and as soon as she started looking at the options and we were talking about what they are and she started applying for the role, she started getting the interviews. So we're in the process at the moment of developing her value proposition for those roles. So clearly communicating what she brings to the role and the value that she's going to deliver to that organisation and also the skills that she has as a doctor and what she brings to the position. So, you know, I work with them to to help them feel very confident and stay focused uh, throughout the interview and articulate uh, the strengths and the the many skills that they bring to those positions. So bringing out what sometimes people are a little bit shy to, or firstly don't recognise, and then maybe a bit shy to, to put out there in, when they're talking about themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel that's a really common theme with doctors. Uh, it's almost like they've they've been trained to, you know, display humility at all times. And that that can unfortunately lead to them not being able to speak about themselves and and communicate in that setting where it's essential that they communicate uh, what their skills and their strengths are. So I work with them to develop the, the ability to do that. Yeah, I think that recognising our own value stack 
I think is the term that is used quite commonly now, that people don't really recognize where where their strengths are and things that they've done. But also reading, well, when we get new candidates coming into our practice, we get their CVs. And I think it reads a lot like a story, but it doesn't actually put in the benefits or the outcomes. Whereas reading a lot more professional uh, CVs, it's this is what my role was, but this is what I achieved myself or with my team. Whereas we don't tend to see that so much in uh, medical CVs from the ones that I've seen, at least from the guys who are coming out, coming into the, the private sector. Yes, I really agree with that. So it's really important that people list what their achievements are and the results that they've brought while they were in those positions. Yeah, you've touched on CVs and interviews. Let's get a little bit more uh, deep into into those things. So many of us haven't updated our CVs or been grilled by an interview panel for years, if not decades. And now the big thing that's changed, as we touched on previously on LinkedIn, is that social media has rapidly changed the world and the way that business and career pathways uh, you know, find their new direction. What's required in a CV in, in 2020 and, and what's needed commonly in a CV overhaul when you look at someone's uh, you know, track record and what they're presenting? Okay. Well, I often recommend to people that they start off after they've got their personal details uh, listed, you know, their contact details with a strong opening statement. So I generally position that as being a professional profile is sort of the, the heading of that section. And it's a it's basically a summary of a few sentences that does outline their background, their strengths, their skills and what, what some of their objectives are. And essentially it's sort of a one-paragraph cover letter, I think of it in terms in in those terms. And ideally candidates would would tailor that according to the role for which they're applying. So the way that they can do that is it by including some of the the keywords that are related to that position and they bring that into their CV so that when people people or machines look uh, scan through those uh, documents they they can see that they are referring to the the key requirements for the position so that's where I'd start uh, actually an introduction because that and on page one it's front and center you've got people's attention it's you're not sort of keeping the the jewels in the crown right till sort of page five of the CV that people may never get to you're putting it you know, front and centre, this is who I am, this is what I bring to you and, and this is why I, I want this role. Being really clear in your CV, not cluttering it with too much information and not making it simply a list of all the things you've ever done within that role. And some CVs I see have a lot of detail in terms of these are the responsibilities, these are the tasks I carried out when I was in that position. A modern-day CV, you know, because people spend very little time looking at them initially in order to assess whether or not to to bring that person in for interview, it needs to be clear, it needs to have key information highlighted and not sort of swathes of, of text. So they would be my key tips actually for the CV. Mm, so a strong opening statement with those key words that was in the job description. That's really interesting. And then you touched on making it easy for machines to scan. Can you talk a little bit about that? So are they just basically put through a, a scanning system to see if there's a match right from the beginning? Yes, they are. And even within medical positions, a lot of the colleges use um, systems that, you know, have lots of algorithms within them and 
the first process is that the the system will assign points for particular achievements and skills and references to those keywords. So that's the first screening process. I mean, if you have a look on, you know, LinkedIn or I do, I look at it and, and I'll often see that oh, if I applied for this role, I this would be my, I'd be in the top 25% of candidates applying for the role. I haven't even applied for the role, but based on my my social media, my LinkedIn profile, that system has uh, informed me and it's done an assessment of, of where I sit in the potential pool of candidates in terms of my success for applying for that position. So, yes, the machines are doing the work um, and, look, they're a tool. The people are still at the other end, but often for the people at the other end, they are using those machines to help them um, order, start up a, a preference, a ranking essentially of the, the many candidates that they've, they've received. Yeah. And so what are some of the things that the machines are scanning for? I know there's this uh, NLP thing. There's the old NLP, which is like Tony mm-hmm. Robbins, um, you know, change your, change your wording. But this the new one that is talked about is the natural language processing element where the machines are then using the words that you use to identify whether you're a positive, neutral, negative kind of person and then almost do like personality, personality analysis based on the things that are on your CV. Does that happen in this space as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, this, all of this is becoming much more complex and deep. So, uh, But I think the important thing is to for people not to be concerned by that, to, you know, present and honest and clear and, you know, if you're concise, I think you can, I wouldn't go into too much detail with the fear of that uh, at the back of the, your mind. I think you've just got to stay focused on, you know, accurately presenting what you bring to the role. And and at the end of the day, I mean, recruiters are still going to want to meet people and it's in those meetings that those decisions are made. The interview process is still you know, an essential part of of yep. the, the entire process. Let's talk a bit about interviews. And so once you've managed to get through the robot and then maybe get through a human set of eyes, how have interviews changed and how do you help candidates prepare for interviews? It really depends on the position and, and you'd be aware that there's so many different formats of interviews even within medicine. So it's really important that people are aware of what the format's going to be. So time is is a huge factor in this, whether an interview is going to be a 15-minute discussion or it's going to be a an hour discussion or it's going to be a series of, of interviews or a, you know, psychometric testing's brought into it as well. So, you know, first up, um, so I guess how, how they've changed, well, there's this a greater variety of interview styles now than there there was in the past. So once people understand what the format is, uh, it's you know that's really informs them as to the way that they should be preparing for those. So whether or not they're medical interviews or or interviews in other entities, uh, understand the format, under, ask questions, get in touch with the contact people within the organisation to find out what the style is going to be, any other information they can share with you, potentially uh, who some of the people are that are on the panel and going to be involved in the interview process. 
and then really start shaping, as I mentioned before, what is the message or set of messages that you want to deliver? What is the information that you want to convey uh, to that interview panel? And I think often people go into interviews, it's almost like a defensive approach. So they're, they're feeling like they're open to being asked any particular any question and there's so much pressure on thinking on the spot about how am I going to ask that answer that question when I'm asked and and I sort of try to flip it uh, and take a slightly different approach which essentially empowers the interviewee more by by thinking about what is the the value and the message that they want to get across to the panel so we start by developing their ability to be um, confident and be able to, well, first of all, work out what the content is that they want to get across. What are the key things that you want that interview panel to know about you when you've left the room? And then how to confidently convey that with strong examples, with a structured response and, and showing the, the positive difference that you feel that you can bring to the position and why, why you feel that you can bring that. And do you have any recommendations for how people should respond to certain questions of, you know, tell us about your strengths or what are your greatest weaknesses? How should people approach those questions? Well, preparation, it's all in the preparation. So tell us about your strengths. People should be aware of what their strengths are and they should have sat down and done that consideration piece. And it, it might seem like a really obvious thing, but often people haven't done that. Uh, so that's one of the first points that I start to work with people on. And that actually, that exercise really helps boost people's confidence immediately. And then the weakness question, people often ask me about that as well. And and that one, I, I always advise, you know, don't bring along a, a long list of the weaknesses that you have uh, that could seem obvious, but they feel that they need to list more than one. I would say go in with one and and have another one in your back pocket in case you're asked for another example. Go in with one, uh, make it one that isn't the worst possible uh, weakness that you think would make rule you out as a strong candidate for the position, and and really shift the focus of it being a weakness to. Um, an area that you've identified that you want to further improve and explain to them the process that you've set in place that that you're working on to improve that particular weakness. Oh, that's a good point. So flipping it and showing how you're, you've recognised it and then are now taking steps on a, on a journey to improve it and maybe make that a, a strength. That's yeah. good. How about this fashion for esoteric questions that may have been, you know, coming in 10, 15 years ago of, you, know, you hear about the Google guys saying, all right, this is, you're in a dark room and there's no walls or lights. How do you get out of it? Or these sales positions where they'll throw your pen and say, sell me this pen. Have you found that many people have been throwing these kind of weird questions that don't really have any clear grounding or you can't really see where they're, where they're leading? Yes, yes, I have. I have found that. And look, essentially the reason for those weird questions is to see how the person's going to react to that. So their ability to realise that it's actually not the answer that's important there, like, you know, what's your favourite animal or what animal would you be? It's how you adapt to that, how you respond to the, to being caught off guard 
and how you then uh, structure a coherent response. And my my recommendation in that situation is, you know, you are being asked to think on the spot. So so come up with a with a brief response, but one that answers the question without going into too much detail. Mm. Let's move on to social media. And we talked a little bit about LinkedIn and it's surprising for me how many people, you know, click LinkedIn uh, as, you know, connect, 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 connect. And it's okay to do that and expand your circle. But I just look at their, their profiles and, you know, if you can't even give your first name a capital letter and your second name a capital letter and then maybe get a photo that actually looks semi-professional not just a freaking selfie where your head is freaking round like a like a lollipop because your camera's too close to your face like what's your approach to how people should set up their LinkedIn profile yeah well I I think each of the things you've mentioned are are a great starting point Andrew get your name right Uh, spell the name of your position correctly as well have a photograph that does not involve you wearing sunglasses or looks like something that you'd see on a dating uh, website or app and and then go from there. I think it's really important that, you know, it, it is a professional platform. This is essentially your very public uh, calling card and, and essentially it is in a way a summary of your CV. So your experience to date, look at the profile. So start um, right a, a strong profile, a summary. What is it that you want people to uh, know about you in terms of what you're bringing to positions, what your skills are? A brief overview of your background, and you know, future being future focused. What is it you're you're looking to? What other areas you're looking to work in in the future? Also, list the obvious things like your education and your your employment history. But the important thing, one of the important things with LinkedIn as well is is being mindful of who your audience is. So particularly for doctors, be aware that, you know, patients and their families may potentially go looking for you online. And so think about how am I going to uh, manage the security settings and and the access for people to get into my profile. So you don't have to have give open slather access to everyone. You can set up your profile such that uh, only your connections can see all of the details of your profile so that you have the opportunity to control who can see what's in there. Mm. And so LinkedIn is really good from the professional side. Then we've got obviously the personal side with Facebook and Insta. And some of those things can actually be quite detrimental in Mm. terms of things people have posted, but also the scenarios that they've been in. What are some of the big no-nos that you would say to doctors just to be mindful of when they're um, using social media, such as Facebook and Instagram? Sure. That uh, once it's up there, it's really hard to get rid of. And so making sure that there's nothing that's compromising on there that could compromise their reputation it seems obvious but um when i mention this to to especially junior doctors they sort of start to look some of them start to look a bit uneasy and and it's not only about what you've posted it's what what other people and your friends might have put up on there so the key thing in that situation is if you become aware of anything that that could compromise your your reputation and and your future career is to to set about trying to remove it don't ignore those profiles once you've 
once you've set them up, you know, you've sort of got to nurture them and and continue to develop them. So, for example, if you're going for a role and you've, you know, you can be pretty sure that recruiters, a lot of recruiters, and particularly outside of the medical environment, that they will be looking people up on LinkedIn. So if you haven't sort of bothered to update your profile for the last five years, it doesn't really it's not a great reflection of, you know, your ability to, you know, keep a fairly straightforward maintenance of that professional profile up to date. And how about things like your own website? I know the the top-level domain .doctor was released only in the last couple of weeks and a lot of us bought our own names .doctor. Do you recommend people buying their own domain name and then maybe just having a placeholder or an email address uh, attached to that? Look, it's not something I've really thought about, to be honest, too much. But well, only in ter- not not the recent changes. But in terms of websites, it, it's sort of like what I mentioned with the LinkedIn profile. If you're going to set something up, don't neglect it and let it kind of get really old. You can see when people haven't paid any attention to those sorts of platforms. So it's really in your best interest if you're going to have it. Get in there every couple of months. Have a look at it. What what are people seeing when they look at this? And 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 am I happy with that? Do I think that that presents me in a in a strong way, or or do I need to do a bit of work around it? And if you do need to do a bit of work around it, you know there are so many people out there who can help advise on you know what that professional branding looks like, or you know if your website can be more appealing or functionally better. You know there's plenty of website administrators that can help with that type of thing. Mm, there's a couple of giveaways really is that when it doesn't work on a mobile, it's not mobile optimized. Yeah. And then when you look at the bottom, you see it's like, you know, copyright 2016 or something, yeah. which uh, yeah, it's a dead giveaway if that's how you're treating your main uh, public outward accessible image what are you doing from a professional development side of things as well exactly and i think that's where you know people should stop and think about you know what they're good at and and if web development isn't you know necessary they're necessarily their top skill we'll give it to someone whose top skill that is well, thanks, Anita. That's been great. I've really enjoyed today's interview and learned so much from your experience and expertise. How can listeners learn more about you and get in touch if they're considering a career reassessment or a new career pathway? Okay. Well, if if any of the listeners are interested in, in putting themselves in charge of their own working life, uh, I can help with that. Uh, I'll help to understand the drivers and concerns and, and possibilities around the big decisions and moves. And, and steps uh, that are needed to, to set these changes in motion. So people can book a call uh, via my website, which is Standout Medical Careers, and that initial call will enable us to decide whether we're a good fit and when we can get started working together. Fantastic. Thank you very much for, for your time today. I'm sure listeners would have gotten a lot of um, new information and, and ideas from, from what we've talked about. Have a great day. Thank you, Andrew. Same to you. Bye. If you're interested in learning how to optimize your finances, please subscribe to this podcast. Also, head over to my blog, medicalmoney.com and subscribe to stay updated. If you know a colleague who might also find this information useful, please share this with them. I'd love to get your feedback, so send questions, comments, and recommendations to me at andrew at medicalmoney.com. 
See you in the next episode.